You're listening to Bow Down to Us, the lore edition, a podcast devoted to story-driven games. Here's your host, Joe. Everybody and welcome to Bow Down to Us, the Lore Edition. We're coming to you live on Monday, October eleventh, two thousand ten. My name's Joe, and with me is Vince. Vince, how yes. you? Yes, I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Well, normally we are joined by Roger, but the old man is stuffing his face full of uh, Thanksgiving moose, as it is the Canadian holiday for giving thanks and apparently annoying significant others of your children. Uh, so, you know, Roger should be with us next week, but instead you get the Vince and Joe show today. I'd like I to like start off me first. Yeah, um, it, gotta, it makes me feel special. Got to make the help feel feel good, you know. <laughs> so fine. Do it yourself. <laughs> We're going to start the show with uh, some Cataclysm news. Um, recently, the Goblin Cinematic was released. Now, Vince, did you get a chance to watch through the video? Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool. That's all, you got, that's all you thought about it? Thought it was pretty cool? Well, goblins are just universally awesome. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just love how, how much character they've given the, the character. Yeah, the, how much character they've given the characters. Jeez, how much life they've given the characters in this little cinematic. I mean, I, I actually almost care about the poor goblin slave traders after they've been blown up out at sea. <laughs> and it seems like a very interesting way. This is uh, the cinematic when you finish the starting zone or start the starting zone. Uh, well, we're going to give a quick little spoiler warning before we go any further. So if you're listening now, this is going to be a spoiler. Skip ahead a little bit. Um, but this is the cinematic that takes place directly after completing the Goblin Starter Zone. Well, part one of it. Uh, the initial part of it, before you move on to the island where you meet the Horde, um, you are basically one of the minor Goblin Princes. Your job is to make a much as much money as you possibly can to contend for basically prince of the entire island uh, of Kazan. Now, while you're on the island, the island is invaded uh, by a bunch of pirates, so you're forced to get the hell out of Dodge, so to speak. Um, as you, tr- you try to basically buy passage with one of the major princes to leave the island, okay? Now, during this time, you get tricked, you're tossed into a hold uh, where you're basically left to be a slave. Um, and then, according to this video, we finally find out what happens between now and the, and the part of the zone from level six up. Uh, essentially, your goblin vessel comes across a battle between the Alliance and the Horde. The Alliance have orders to shoot everything in sight and leave no witnesses, which is interesting. Because you got to wonder where this order came from. At the that end, that sounds of- very enrinish to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm not so sure about that. Now, here's the reason I'm not so sure about that. Gina Proudmore, at the end of I, at the end of Wrath, and when you're talking about completing everything up, there's an entire sequence when you kill Sarfang, where Varian Rin talks about honor and talks about you know this whole thing about maybe not everybody's so bad to paraphrase. So as you're coming into cataclysm, you got to wonder, is he really that hateful that he doesn't want to leave any witnesses or just attack the horde? Cause he's never been about collateral damage before. He's always been about, we need to kill the horde, kill the horde, kill the horde. He didn't care who saw it. So 
is there another agent at work here? Is there somebody else pulling the strings behind it? Will this cause political intrigue later in Cataclysm? It very well may. There may be people that are vying for the throne. We don't know. Not all the story has been released. And this expansion, while we just know the tidbits of it, we just know the beginning story, we don't know how it's going to evolve. This could be an indicator that there's going to be something further on down the line. Now, I'll get back to why I think that in a minute. But after this, you then see how the goblins are essentially jettisoned from escape pods and then this flows directly. i love the goblin escape pods i'm goblin sorry escape pods that was awesome. hilarious <laughs> which is interesting because the first quest you get when you wake up in the new island is go see if anybody survived no 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 we we, we know they got off the ship we just don't know if they lived <laughs> so you have to you go ever seen a goblin with eyebrows <laughs> there's a reason for that <laughs> but you actually go through and you're cracking open um surviving survival pods as your first quest. It's the very first thing you're doing. So it's always interesting to me. So I think it's kind of cool to see how this video is shaping up to the beginning experience for goblins. It's going to be a nice transition piece. Yeah, something very interesting and very different from anything we've seen before in the game, which is what's really exciting me about Cataclysm. You know, I, for a year now, I honestly have not cared about World of Warcraft, not one bit. And I keep up with the news because it's kind of my job, but uh it, I just don't it, it, there's no draw for me. So seeing something like this, it's, you know, so radically different from anything we've experienced in the game before. Thank you, Blizzard, for, you know, reigniting my passion in this game that I've wasted a quarter of my life on. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of the more important things to note here, uh, too, is that Cataclysm marks a return of Blizzard to storytelling. And we're talking about massive, massive lore things here. Um, the, now, the reason I think that there's going to be some form of intrigue later on is because as you start leveling in the game around level 82-ish, I think, you start getting a quest from Varian Rin himself. He wants you to look into certain things that he cannot look into because he's too busy dealing with other politics. Uh, Greymane is with him in the throne room and his son wants to help out. So he's like, you're going to escort my son, right? You basically take Prince Adwin um, in his full teenager glory, and you're going around trying to find out what's happening. Over the course of these events, you unravel that there is an actual twilight cult infection in Stormwind. So I'm starting to wonder, because this is the naval base now for all of the Alliance, since Kul Tiras is, is off the map, so to speak, it's in an isolation mode. So this is the naval center for all of the alliance. This is where the ships are made. This is where the big steam vessels are made. This is where everybody comes to dock to resupply. So was there another person, maybe, who happens to be a member of the Twilight Cult, calling the shot saying, kill everything in sight, help reignite this war, leave no witnesses? So I'm kind of curious to see if this is going to play out later on, because this is that, that, nice little, that nice little tidbit in there, that nice little cookie nestled into that video hints at so much more when you look at the bigger scope of the game. I would absolutely love it. Especially when you consider that, you know, this is a goblin cinematic, something, you know, playing out from the Horde's point of view that could, you know, theoretically have such a huge influence on an Alliance side storyline. It really shows some, some great planning and forethought as well as communication amongst the writing team, which, yeah, is great. Now, moving on from there, we're going to talk about one other thing in Cataclysm. This is going to be another spoiler. Um, recently, there was a video uh, that yours truly has leaked. It was the first one out there of Thrall and exactly how badass Thrall really, really is. Now, Thrall we haven't new... seen a lot of that lately. No, we haven't because we saw him getting bitch slapped in, you know, in his own throne room. <laughs> 
Now, in Cataclysm, Thrall has been called away by the Earthen Ring in order to keep the Maelstrom open. That's right. Single-handedly, he is basically keeping the elemental planes from collapsing back into Azeroth, causing all of the elementals to run amok once again and potentially destroy Azeroth further than it was. This is the gap that was used by Deathwing to crash into the world. Now, why is this important? First of all, it tells you exactly how powerful the character Thrall is, something that hasn't been discussed before. We understood that he was going to be an important character. We understood that he had lore implications all throughout the entire Warcraft series. We're talking about Warcraft 3, Warcraft the Frozen Throne, and throughout all World of Warcraft expansions so far. But you start really seeing exactly how much power he has and how little he's done with it. Okay, now, not only is he keeping four separate elemental planes from crashing into the prime plane of Azeroth by himself, <laughs> okay, he's fighting Deathwing. Deathwing. With his and, other hand. Well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> There's a quest chain in the Twilight Highlands, and you can go to bow down to us, uh, the, the and you can and check out the video for yourself. There's a quest chain that you are helping the 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 Alliance side, and I don't. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a, a Horde side version of this as well, uh, because it's from the Earth and Ring, which is a neutral faction that's trying to keep the Twilight cult from overrunning the Highlands. Now, the Highlands, being the traditional home of the dwarves the Wildhammer Dwarves, um, you're going on a crazy griffin ride, okay? We're talking about you're hopping on the back of a griffin and flying into essentially the mouth of something that's bigger than an old god, okay? It's not an old god, but it's bigger. And you are, you get swatted out of the air, you fall into his stomach, and you are pretty much digested. Well, not only is Thrall fighting Deathwing, keeping the five, the five planes apart from each other, he has time to summon your soul from the belly of this beast and bring you back to the maelstrom where you get to witness firsthand him calling upon all of the elements all of the elements to assault Deathwing. we're seeing rocks flying we're seeing water just spurt out of nowhere from the maelstrom and just rush right into it. we're seeing lightning bolts arc and crash into Deathwing, and we're seeing Deathwing actually labored by this combat maybe Deathwing hasn't fully woken up and come into his power yet um but it's just interesting to see how such a powerful character really who could very easily have overrun the Alliance by himself at this point. I mean, he's holding off a fucking aspect by himself while keeping elemental planes apart is ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to seeing more about it. So it's kind of awesome. It's kind of epic. And it's got this sort of this this thing. It's just it's awesome. It is so awesome because it's just epic, absolutely positively epic. Um, and to respond to non-entity, it is a vision of things to come. But he actually summons you, so to speak, so that you can see what's happening. So while your character may not actually be there, you still are experiencing what he's going through right this moment. So I don't know. I like it. I think it's awesome. And we have given... Thrall, a new nickname in the Wawa Insider chat, by the way. He is now Thrall the Last Orc Bender. <laughs> so moving along from our lovely man Thrall, we're going to talk about BlizzCon a little bit. Um, BlizzCon 2010 event calendar has been unveiled, and we're seeing some awesome panels return, such as the writing, uh, basically the storytelling, quest creation, missions, everything about it. 
everything about creating these wonderful games, these cinematics. Uh, we're talking about script generation. We're talking about beyond just dungeons and raids and mechanics. We are talking about actually learning about story of these games. Um, there is an entire panel dedicated to Warcraft quests and lore. This is on the development stage opening day at 3 p.m. And guess where I'll be, folks? Oh, I'll be there. Um, following that at the same stage at about 4.30 is the story Q&A for StarCraft II. I mean, come on. These are two games that have, are absolutely positively epic that are getting entire panels dedicated to nothing more than the story and the questing. And to me, that's absolutely ridiculous and I can't friggin' wait. Um, I'm, I know that I will be bringing you guys a ton of information as I'm at BlizzCon actually trying to set up a few interviews right now that we'll talk more about as I get confirmation later for you folks. Um, but there's just going to be so much information coming on about how Cataclysm is being developed and everything else. Um, it's it's awesome. I think that we're going to get so much more stories, so much more lore in this two-day event that's going to get us prepared not just for Cataclysm but beyond Cataclysm that I can't wait to get my hands you know, dirty on site, so to speak. Well, uh, two events that kind of jump out at me as very interesting things I'd like to more know more about uh, are the StarCraft II Secrets of the Masters. Uh, very interested to see exactly what that's going to entail. But the one that, uh, you know, for, especially from a lore standpoint, that definitely has my interest is uh, the opening panel on the second day, uh, the Diablo III Crafting Sanctuary panel. And, and, you know, we still don't know much about the story and the world of Diablo 3. And I think this could be a, a really great start into this third franchise of Blizzard, knowing more about all the stuff we love about the game and really, uh, really starting to expand upon it. Well, Blizzard, we know, is batting straight out of the park, which we didn't have any doubt of. Um but let's move away from Blizzard right now. We're going to talk about another game uh, that was recently released, uh, overshadowed possibly by the Castlevania. It's called Enslaved Odyssey of the West. Um, I'm going to let you take over on this one, Vince, since you said you had quite a bit to say about it. All right. So we saw Enslaved, unfortunately, releasing last week, the same day as Castlevania. Um so it's going to be some interesting uh, competition there between the two games. It's from Namco Bandai and uh, developed by Ninja Theory, the people behind such quote-unquote masterpieces as Heavenly Sword and the Devil May Cry reboot. But uh, we're not going to judge them on their other work. Instead, we're going to focus on this particular game, which from everything that I've seen, read, you know, heard about it seems to be a very, very interesting game. Um, it, it ties into the traditional Chinese story of the journey to the West, which has influenced tons and tons uh, of movies, books, you name it, coming out of Japan and China and the, the Far East. Uh, Western audiences will know it best as the, the driving force behind the Jackie Chan, Jet Li movie, Forbidden Kingdom, uh, of course, the animes, Dragon Ball and Sayuki. And you even see some elements of it in Inuyasha, just to point out some of the more popular you know, things that have referenced this very this very influential story. And the original story focuses around a Buddhist monk and his pilgrimage to India to recover some lost Buddhist scrolls. And the monk, you know, he's not... Uh, what we would, you know, think of as a monk these days, you know, this badass martial artist, 
Now, he, he's just, you know, a holy man. He has no, no way to really defend himself against the evils of the world. So he's gifted with three companions. Uh, he's gifted with the monkey god, uh, you know, just a super violent, angry at everything, you know, tear you up with my giant staff. And the only way he can be controlled is through a mystic band that that uh, the, the monk has control of and can control his actions and keep him in check without destroying the universe, which he's tried to do in the past. Uh we see uh, a hedonistic pig, uh, sort of a monk in his own right, uh, you know, although a different type of monk. And, uh, you know, your quiet and stoic uh, river monster who, you know, he's not that much of a, a point in the story. It's really focused upon the monk, the monkey and the pig. So they're taking that very iconic story from Eastern culture and bringing it into a modern video game, which, uh, at least from my experience, is really the first time I've seen it uh, brought about in such a huge fashion. Like, of course, like I said, it's influenced so many stories over the years. But this is the really the first one I've seen, the first game that really borrowed from it so heavily. So in Enslaved, we are transported 150 years into the future to a war-torn Earth. Because obviously, uh, no matter what we do in the future, we're fucked because there's no such thing as a happy future anymore. And there's very few humans surviving. Uh, the, the robots have run amok and are, are trying their best to continue in their mission to destroy all life on Earth. What happened to happy robots? <laughs> anyway. One too, many, one too many viewings of the Matrix. Yeah. Anyway, the main character in this game is, you know, so cleverly named Monkey. He's a monkey dude. There's really no 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 better way to explain it with some awesome hair and stuff going on. And his companion, you can say, Trip. Trip is, uh, you know, just this normal human girl who, who, who has, you know, she's good with technology, but much like the original monk in the original story, has no way to defend herself in this very violent and dangerous world. So uh, they, they both find themselves captured by the robots and through an event I'm not entirely familiar with because I haven't experienced it yet. The ship crashes. They manage to escape. Monkey gets knocked out. And when he wakes up, he finds out that Trip has attached a slaver's band to him because, you know, she needs somebody to protect her. And who better than Monkey? So the entire game focuses around Monkey fighting his way through, you know, the robot armies, trying to help Trip get home. And, you know, and, you know, they start off, I, I believe it's in America, if I'm remembering correctly. They start yes. off in the east and have to make their way to the west, journey to the west. It, it's it's a nice, you know, twist on the the theme that we we saw going from China to India. Instead, we're going from New York to L.A. or what have you. And there's just, you know, such great... Uh, cohesiveness between the two characters things that we've seen in games like uncharted and prince of persia where you know the two characters are just you know so fun on their own and the way they interact with each other because obviously monkey at the beginning of the game fucking hates tripped <laughs> she you know she's basically again enslaved him into going on this cross-country trek that he would rather have nothing to do with just because she can't help herself out and over the course of the story you know they 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 know they they 
they grow closer to each other. And you know, again, I haven't played the game myself. Uh, I, I intend to at some point. And it's just come across as such this really cool world that I originally didn't give that much you know, credence to. When I first saw it at E3, I was like, oh, OK, whoop de doo you know, another version of the Journey to the West. I've seen it dozens of times before until I really started looking at it and seeing just how well realized this version of that story is. And you have to attribute that to the staff that Namco picked up for the game. Uh, the the game is written by an actual Hollywood scriptwriter by the name of Alex Garland, who is responsible for such movies as 28 Days Later and honestly one of the best sci-fi movies I've seen in years sunshine so that is a lot of power behind this little video game now one of the things that i find really interesting about this is uh, it borrows a sort of duality between the characters very similar to ico um, where you are essentially dragging around somebody who can't defend themselves through puzzles and dangers so you have this sort of classic style that that has been so well hailed as one of the top type of gaming game things that you can do um, being rebrought to life in this sort of game. Now, it's also kind of interesting because of the the relationship they have. I mean, let's not put any any fluff on this. She has literally enslaved him. She has hacked the man so that she can send jolts of pain to it, whatever she feels like to make him <laughs> do whatever the hell she wants. And if she dies, you die. You are intrinsically tied to the to the to her life so it is in your best interest to keep her alive even if you would rather kill her uh, so she's taken away your freedom you've survived for so long on your own uh without any sort of outside influence avoiding you know the mechs and living your life as best you can and now you're forced to fight when you would rather run because well she can't really run by herself and she can't defend herself so it for there's there's sort of this weird relationship that develops between them and it very much is the the forced master and slave sort of uh, relationship where it's he doesn't like her at all he would rather let her die but he can't because well he doesn't really want to die either so he's kind of forced to keep her alive and forced to do everything he can to that effect so it's interesting to see that sort of relationship brought into a game and what i want to point out about this too is it's okay for them to have slavery in games but it's not okay for the taliban to be in games <sighs> Just going to, you know, come back to that real quick. But anyway, let's not it, go there. <laughs> but it, it's just it's refreshing. It's sort of re refreshing in a way that it's it's a different take on a classic story. It's a different take on a classic style of gameplay. And the game is visually pretty damn stunning. Um, it's pretty well polished for what it is. And it's going to be it's available. It's going to be available for the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. Um, the graphics are awesome. Uh, it's. It looks like a game that I'm going to want to pick up and play through myself. Yeah. And this is kind of a good news, bad news situation, because when I look at this game and look at, you know, the world they've created and the, the gameplay they've created and the characters they have and compare it to everything else that's out right now. You know, there's so many triple A titles hitting the shelves within the same month. Again, there's Castlevania on the same day. You've got Medal of Honor coming out. Well, tomorrow, basically, you know, Call of Duty, you, you know, you name it. This just doesn't seem like a game that should have been released 
in October. It seemed like it would have been a much better spring or summer game to me because it's going to get buried under the landslide of all these games that just have more advertisement. I, I have seen very little about this game out there. And again, comparing the game itself to the situation surrounding the game, I'm reminded of Beyond Good and Evil, which was still to me the absolute best game I played last generation. But because it had no advertising, it was released at the wrong time, the game came out to be an absolute total failure. I bought the game a month after it was released, brand new, for 20 bucks. And that wasn't a sale. That was the main, you know, that was uh, Ubisoft reducing the price to 20 bucks because nobody was buying the game because it came out at the same time as The Sands of Time, Splinter Cell, and I think there, there was a Halo game or something around the time. It just got buried under this avalanche of much bigger titles. And I, I really hope that Enslaved doesn't fall into that same trap because from what I've seen, this does seem to be an absolutely fantastic game. I definitely agree, and hopefully it won't get buried. Uh, moving along from Enslaved, we're going to talk a little bit about a handheld game. Final Fantasy, The Four Heroes of Light. Uh, this is the first official Final Fantasy game developed entirely for the Nintendo DS. Not a port, not a redesign of a classic game, but we're talking about completely constructed from scratch for the Nintendo DS. Uh, the story revolves around the classic 14-year-old boy summoned by the king uh, to rescue his daughter who is kidnapped by a witch of the north. Uh, if that doesn't scream Legend of Zelda all over it, I don't know what does. Or um, any other Final any Fantasy other game. Final Fantasy game that we've ever seen, ever. But what's cool to me is it may not be entirely unique story. Um, it's an interesting presentation on the Nintendo DS. And they have crafted it very specifically to feel like an old-school RPG complete with turn-based combat that feels very much like a Super Nintendo game. So I'm... I'm excited because essentially the Nintendo DS has become a portable SNES. Um, so to see something developed specifically with that in mind, especially something that's going to be epic RPG handheld gaming uh, is kind of nice, you know, and it's a proof that Square should go back to their roots um, and stop making shit games that require one button to play and really concentrate on stuff that they're really good at, like RPGs, like actual RPGs. You see, they're, they're, they're in this really unfortunate place where they've shown that the only thing they can do to make everybody happy is to basically make the same game they've made a dozen times already. You, know, you, you have this this rabid fan base, and this is the same thing with any game. We're getting a lot of it right now with Castlevania. You have this rabid fan base that doesn't want anything to change ever. They would be perfectly happy playing Final Fantasy four, Final Fantasy six, you know, what have you up to Final Fantasy 80 with the exact same game with two dimensional sprites and turn based combat. And you, you also have the other side where, you know, if Square makes that same game 50 times as much as many billions of copies as it'll sell, you know, they'll get blasted in the media for, you know, not doing anything original for not, you know, stepping up to what the technology of the day can offer for, you know, just you know, rehashing the same thing over and over again. So I, I kind of feel bad for Square, well, but it's hard. It's hard to because every attempt they've made in recent years has has fallen flat. You know, they, they can deliver, you know, a good experience while still 
you know, revitalizing the genre. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't entirely agree with you here. Um, they've been reinventing the genre without changing the type of engine, which is most people's complaint about their games is the engine. Not that they want 2D sprites. They would love to have better graphics, but it's the turn-based combat that really makes it feel like an RPG. So when you're looking at games from the, the Super Nintendo, you start looking at, you know, well, let's look even back. Look at the original Final Fantasy series. It was all turn-based combat developed to, to deliver your story, right? you had your classic adventure questing system. Now that same system then translated into a better resolution, better series of RPG games for the Super Nintendo. We're talking superior graphics, superior audio quality, and superior gameplay, but with the same engine core beneath it. Now let's take that a step further and go to Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9, and 10. Also, turn-based combat. Um, different engines really showing off the polish that they can do with the new generation systems, but keeping that same core. Square's problem has always been when they've changed the core. Now, you can create a visually stunning game that is absolutely phenomenal, but have a completely crap engine like Final Fantasy 13, in which you are doing nothing but mashing one button because it's all about the speed as opposed to planning or plotting or strategy. And that's where they really start to fail. That's where people start losing it. Then you have a game like the Final Fantasy, the Four Lights of Hero, or the Four Heroes of Light. It's turn-based, which is the first thing every single review or preview of this game has said. It's a return to turn-based combat. It doesn't matter how awesome or lame the story is, but if you were to use an engine like that, but really polish it up and put it on a new system, I guarantee you people would flock to it like a moth to a flame. And I understand they're trying to break it out, but and, and Roger and I will, will argue about this, I'm, I'm sure, but there's this very Eastern culture of wanting to change the game engine. When you start looking at a very simple game engine that's been working and tried and true, you don't have to add too much, and you are allowed to concentrate more on content and story. Like in this case, the Final Fantasy The Four Heroes of Light is promising to have a pretty robust story on top of a very simple system of selecting and going. And that lets them do more with that game and develop a game from scratch specifically for the DS instead of having to completely rehash and push it back and worry about all sorts of things like that. So I think it's kind of important that they recognize that they can do new and exciting things like they did with Final Fantasy 8, 9, 10 and not really have to worry too much about changing the entire system and then allow to focus more on story and visuals and an awesome experience. And I think that for a handheld Final Fantasy, the four heroes of light really is going to offer that sort of nostalgic awesomeness and hopefully will rekindle the flames of RPG for the new generation systems. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that ever since the merger with Enix, we've seen all the other Square slash Enix franchises, you know, branching out. And, and you know, the, the two companies really lent a lot to each other. But Final Fantasy, it's like, you know, that that little corner of Square is sitting there, you know, you know, you know, they're like or Larflees, the Orange Lantern. It's mine. You can't have it. You know, and you know, I, I would love to see Square, you know reach out to some of the other development teams within the company because I, I think a Final Fantasy game with a game engine developed by, say, Tri-Ace, you know, a Star mm -hmm. Ocean style battle system would be awesome because I, I would love that. I, I love the Star Ocean games because, you know, they have some fun combat, but, you know, the stories are kind of iffy and, you know, there's some other stuff. If they can combine those two aspects of this company, I think they could really move in the right direction. And, you know, why merge these two, you know, 
juggernauts uh, of the RPG industry if you're just going to keep turning out the same stuff. You know, it's just, it's going to be the same games from one company instead of the same games from two companies. They they really need to learn a lot from each other because Square does a lot of things better than anybody else, just like Enix did a lot of things better than anybody else at the time. And and they, they while you know the Star Ocean franchise, Dragon Quest, you know a lot of their big names have done well over the years. You know, continuing on, we've just seen Final Fantasy stagnate, and, and that hurts. It does. It does indeed. Moving along from Final Fantasy, though, to talk about a browser-based game called Kung Fu Saga. Uh, the Kung Fu Saga beta was recently launched. It's an internet browser game uh, by Zload.com. Um, it's testing for their their upcoming release. Um, it's a browser-based RPG featuring free gaming experience that can be accessed from anywhere that you have internet access. Um, it thrusts players into the role of a novice swordsman, a young hero who survives a hard to fight or a hard fight against a demon lord. Uh, the lore around the demon lord's return is shrouded in a myth and rumor, and is the driving force behind the story in the world of Kung Fu Saga. Players will experience how this mystery unfolds by exploring the legend, amassing fame and fortune, and fighting dangerous adversaries face to face. In this this browser-based game, and I want to emphasize browser-based game, the hero in the world of Kung Fu Saga will master swordsmanship as well as superior martial arts uh, and facing challenges from both the minions of the Demon Lord and other champions. Um, It's set in a world of legends and myth where players can develop and actually evolve as a character as they move into different expeditions and and going through various dungeons and adventuring different confrontations with demons and things like that it's kind of interesting to me to see how deep a browser-based game really is starting to get now we were questioning this before we heard about a browser-based mmo for battlestar galactica and i was questioning how epic could this really be how how much could they really push but now we're starting to see other companies start to look at this and say Hey, we could do this too. And the browser-based RPGs are, are actually starting to look like it might be a viable, you know, sort of MMO niche. And to see something like this, where it's a very classic sort of Kung Fu story, a, uh, a very sort of well-known, well-trodden path, and to see something like this come out, it gives me some sort of you know, hope for the future games that come out in browser-based like that. So this is an MMO? Uh, it's going to be interaction between players as well. Right now it's an RPG style. So I don't know uh, about how much interaction is going to be. There's not a whole lot of information because people in the beta right now, because there's a closed beta, uh, they are under an NDA. And unfortunately, I couldn't find anything about it on 4chan, sadly. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, looking at this, looking at, you know, some of the other browser based games I've you know, tried my hand at over the years, stuff like RuneScape, uh, Adventure Quest. They they were just, you know, there was nothing there. So seeing this and, and you know, you tell me browser based, just this, these, these three paragraphs, there's more there than in any other browser based game I've experienced. So I, I think it's very, very interesting how... You know, they, they've realized that not everybody can compete in the actual MMO market, you know, not even not even as a freemium sort of game. And there's this, you know, whole other way to deliver your experience to the players that that we're starting to see more and more of. And that's always good stuff. 
Now, I want to kind of go back to something we talked about a while ago here. Um, there was an online game service that was going to be making video games of all shapes and sizes available over the Internet through your web browser called OnLive. OnLive has launched and is actually doing fairly well. I managed to, to get myself into a premium account thanks to the boys at OnLive. So shout out to you guys. Have, you know, rock on. Um, but it's actually kind of interesting to see exactly how much graphic awesomeness can be distributed over the internet. And we're talking about a time when browsers are changing. I mean, look at Google Chrome and how much it has packed into it. We're looking at HTML5 being released to allow for an alternate scripting uh, compared to Java and Flash. We're looking at bandwidth across the entire world increasing in exponential levels that are absolutely phenomenal. Like if I were to do a speed test right now, I would be getting about 30 megs down and about 10 megs up. And that's just absolutely ridiculous for something that you know most player most people aren't really going to use so there's this ton of bandwidth coming out so you can really push a lot of content down that pipeline over the internet we're talking about on live allows you to play huge games we're talking you want to log into world of warcraft congratulations you can do that through on live anywhere you are um you want to go ahead and log into street fighter 4 have fun you can do that too want to play half-life 2 feel free you want to play team fortress go ahead and it's real time and it's there's almost no lag whatsoever. And it really uses that bandwidth and that higher cap. So games like this, these browser based games could actually become a very big reality. Uh, think about it. You don't really have to download anything. You have your web browser, maybe an add in, maybe a little bit of information comes down to your computer and then you're treated to awesome visuals because it'll still use your graphics card, it still sends instructions to your video card uh, in order to render. And you'll have virtually no lag. This could be a potential wave of the future for gaming. You know, I could I could be, you know, in another country, get bored out of my mind, hop on the internet and bam, I can play my game that I, you know, normally wouldn't be able to play if unless I had it installed and was ready to go and I can go to any cafe in the world, any internet connection and do it. And to see storylines, robust storylines being written for games specifically designed for consumption over the internet is huge and we started seeing this with the downloadable content like we we're talking about like downloadable games like amnesia and uh, hydrophobia we're talking about how rich those games were in story for downloadable games small bite-sized downloadable games why couldn't they do the same thing over the internet yeah, and especially in today's game market where you know piracy and and, and pre-owned games are, are such you know major factors in a lot of the decisions companies make you know, you, you can't steal a browser game because there's nothing to steal you know, it's it's essentially there anyway. So I, it's it's definitely something I think a lot more companies should start exploring just because we, we've seen so many terrible workarounds for the way the system is now. This seems like a very good way to 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 get your game out there without having to worry about all these, you know, bad things that, that are going to ruin your sales numbers. See, and, and, and like if a company, think about like if Blizzard were to do this, let's say Ooh. Blizzard offered a premium service, an additional charge a month on top of the monthly fee, fine, I can completely get that, where you can actually log into the game complete with all of your add-ons and settings through any browser anywhere in the world. Yeah, I mean, like, could you imagine how much money they would make hand over fist, hand over fist? So yeah, it's let's, just, let's, let's face it. I mean, World of Warcraft isn't a, a graphically... You know, it's not going to demolish your computer. It, it's been around for long enough that it could easily translate into this browser-based game. 
even with all the new changes they're making in Cataclysm, it's very capable of doing. So we're going to move away from that, and that's food for thought for everybody in the audience there. Feel free to, to, to give us your opinions. By all means, drop by bowdowntous.com, log into the forums, create an account, toss in your opinions on what you think about browser-based gaming of all shapes and sizes. We'd love to hear your opinions. But we're going to move on from browser-based gaming to a classic mafioso story. Mafia 2 was released not too terribly long ago, and it takes place well quite literally after mafia one um it's produced by 2k games which was this game has some form of controversy around it but we'll get into that in a minute the storyline is very much your godfather-esque basic sort of mob story the game begins with the main character looking over a photo album photo album and giving a voiceover about his life um Born in Sicily in 1925 to an extremely poor family. A few years later, his family immigrates into the fictional Empire Bay in America, which resembles a very, very close distinction to, uh, well, how should we put it, New York City. Um, they are no better off there as they were in Sicily. As he gets older, the main character gets involved with a local crime or local criminal um, who becomes his best friend. Um, Vito is arrested during a botched robbery and is given a choice, jail or the army. He chooses the army and ends up in Sicily in World War II. Now, this is kind of an interesting twist um, because he was a criminal. He was a mobster. And now he's getting a chance to fight for his country, well, that he's immigrated to in World War II, which he now has forced to liberate um, the people <laughs> of his of his, his home country. Um before getting shot and then sent home on leave. Once home, he's uh, discharged. Uh, basically, he gets the, the, he's discharged from the, the hospital, not because the military said, you're great, uh, go home, have fun. He's discharged because there's some mafia connections there that I get pulled uh, and learns that his family has a massive debt. So now he starts going back to his friends in the mob and starts earning money. So you have this sort of transformation in the character that you know he's not exactly... on his guy. He's just doing what he can to survive. And it is that sort of classic mafia story that we've grown to to love over such movies like The Godfather or Casino uh, or Goodfellas, where it's you don't really have a whole lot of money. You're a poor guy doing whatever you can to survive, making some very difficult decisions. So the story is actually very robust. It plays out very much like a cinematic script. Uh, The visuals of the game are pretty stupendous and support the script very well. Um, You have classic feels of everything uh, from your sort of the way the cars move, the way the cars look to the clothing that the characters wear. Now, an important thing, important storytelling moment I want to talk about this game. The game actually uses the in-game engine to do all their cinematics, but they don't just do it as a cutscene. Let's say you're driving in a car and you get into a shootout with another car. Your car is riddled with bullets. You, you complete the mission, you kill the other car, you do what you got to do, and you're, kill, you're still rolling along and a cutscene triggers. In that cutscene, your car still has all the battle damage. You got, you got a guy with a bloody shoulder. He's still got a bloody shoulder. You got bullet holes. You still got the bullet holes. So everything, every cinematic, every piece of story the game tells or retells is done in real time. It's done in real time with everything that you've done up to that point. So it's kind of an interesting way to go back and look at it. And it's a very awesome way to present it because instead of taking you away and having a cutscene where the car is absolutely perfect, no, if you got shot, there's going to be bullet holes there. There's going to be visible signs of struggle if a cutscene happens after a fight. You run from the cops, you, 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 you know, you get dirty, you get, you know, knifed. There's going to be those wounds are still there. The dirt's still there. Your character is going to be slightly winded. It's an interesting thing to do. Uh, it's a very awesome way to present a story in a video game. 
Yeah, that that's, you know, taking what we've seen in games like Mass Effect 2 and Halo Reach even a step farther, because in those games, you know, there's a lot of character customization. And, you know, the, the, the big draw of those games is the character you've created is the character that's going to be in the cutscenes, And that's great. You know, it's 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 a great way of transitioning from the playable segments to the non playable segments and back again without being a jarring transition. But this takes a step further because, you know, in Mass Effect, you know, okay, the cutscene starts, your Shepard is there, nothing else is. Same with Halo Reach, you know, your Noble Six is there and, you know, maybe the vehicle you showed up in, but none of the dead bodies are there. You know, none of the the, the building that you, you know, accidentally destroyed, you know, in the the chaotic combat of the game is, is rebuilt again. So this is taking that technology another step farther and that that bodes well for the future of the industry and the further immersion of the player in the game. Now we're talking about immersion into worlds immersing yourself in a world is absolutely critical to escapism of the game, right? It's, it's sort of, how you sell this game, how you sell the stories, how well you can immerse yourself, whether it's a series of quests that you don't have to go back to a quest hub and complete so you can continue on with your your adventures, or whether it's an intricate story that draws your character deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole to this, to a persistent world, to a world where the cutscenes are dynamic. And, and while they may be scripted, you're going to get different visuals every time you go into it. It's a nice way to help you not break yourself out of that world, and it doesn't break the fourth wall. So I mean, yeah. I'm I and honestly, it's kind of awesome. It's just ridiculous to look at that and see all the different models that they use as well with the Colt 1911 pump action shotguns, uh, MP40s, M3 machine guns, MG42s, Beretta 38s, um, the classic style. Uh, Chicago and Detroit mobster style vehicles, the classic style suits and wingtips and coats and fedoras. Uh, combine that all with sort of this this cinematic feeling, this sort of doo-wop rhythm and blues rock and roll soundtrack that's with it. It's just ridiculous. It's awesome. <laughs> and and to, be, to be honest with you, I'm surprised we don't see more Mafia games because in, in so much game writing and, and storylines – they they try so hard to establish this this good plot, and you, you have to have solid characters, you know, of not just solid characters, but a varied cast of characters with with you know twists and turns to the plots, and you know big schemes and backstabbing and, and questionable loyalties and all these things we've seen across so many great games over the years. Well. That was the mafia. You know, it's this isn't, you know, necessarily a fictional story they're telling. Go turn on the frickin history channel. You will see, you know, video game storylines played out in real life. So I just think it's kind of kind of kind of goofy that we see very few actual mafia games because the the story structure lends itself so perfectly to a good, compelling video game story. Now, I want to talk a little bit about another uh, sort of compelling-esque mafia story that's going to be coming out soon. Uh, this month we'll be talking about this more in a later episode, but uh, don't forget, Fallout New Vegas is going to be coming out, and it starts with you getting shot in the head and put into a shallow grave, just like a classic mafia story. So there are going to be casino-esque tie-ins with that game, which promises to deliver a very epic story. Personally, I can't wait to get that and get my hands on it and see how a post-apocalyptic mafia story works out. <laughs> yeah, forgot about that one. Now, moving along from there, we're going to talk about one more game here called Arcania Gothic 4. Um, Visually, the game is 
stupendous. We're talking about fire golems. We're talking demons and and goblins and and all sorts of weird, wacky crap um, that that surround this game. And on top of it, it's got a a very sort of story, classic fantasy story esque, you know, sort of way of presenting it. Um, what did you think about it? Do you have any opinion on it? Um, on the game itself, not particularly because, you know, we, we, they really haven't shown too much yet. I, I, and I kind of feel bad for saying this, but just looking at the game, it's something I'm not interested in because with all these, you know, big fantasy RPG games from Elder Scrolls on to Dragon Age and now Arcania and, you know, the, the various other games around The Witcher, what have you, they all look so similar you know it's like they say okay if you're doing this this you know serious fantasy storyline this is how your world has to look and i don't just mean like character designs and whatnot but the art style And, and it's nothing against this game it's just for me personally i would like to see a similar story told with a different art style that's why we were so interested in and god i can't remember the name of it right now but the game from uh salvatore and mcfarlane because it looked so different from another type you know all the similar types of games that we've played previously it's like look at borderlands how many post-apocalyptic video games have there been and they all they look the bloody same but borderlands had a unique art style while still being recognizable to the setting and that you know increased my enjoyment of the game so again nothing against arcania i'm just i I would like to see a little innovation out of the genre well and while i agree with that that it's not to to put it in perspective it doesn't take away from the story of the game uh which is really where my interest lies um basically the hero of the last game uh robar uh becomes king he you know, supposed to leave this life of, of hardship behind him, but he can't. He's still got a bunch of, of adventuring he needs to do, which is kind of important to me because in most games, you don't see the royalty, aside from princes, breaking out of what they're doing to go and, and take care of business personally. You don't see that aspect of sort of these fantasy games previously. The king doesn't leave his throne room. He hides. You know, he, he's got other shit he's got to do. He's got a politic. Well, here he's actually leading the force to, you know, liberate a group of islands uh, from the sort of civil war that's broken out. Um, and not only is he going by himself, but he's bringing his companions that have lived and died with him, you know, that have, that have gone through battle with him that have gone through all these hardships with him. And as he, as he's going through this and as he's going through these adventures, he's basically teetering between madness and sanity. And he's withdrawing slowly into himself from his companions. So it's it's not just sort of a classic fantasy story, but it's got this element of personal introspection here that that the character is is fighting with. Not only does he have to save these other people, not only does he have to be the, you know, the hero, but he has to worry about saving himself too and ke- keeping his own sanity intact. And now while I could say that the visuals definitely they I would love to see something different here. It's still a solid story on which to to build a fantasy world. I just wish it had different graphics than the dark and dingy. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You can do all of the innovations you want story wise, gameplay wise, but as long as you're maintaining that 
you know, that tried and true art style, you're just setting yourself up to comparisons to, you know, these juggernaut of games. You know, any game that even remotely looks like this is going to be compared to Dragon Age, which, let's face it, very few games are going to ever compare nicely to Dragon Age, not counting the downloadable content. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's it, it, Dragon Age and Morrowind and uh, Oblivion. They hold themselves up as, you know, these such high pillars of what, you know, the 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 dark, epic, serious RPGs can do that it, any way you can differentiate yourself from them can't be bad. Well, and I definitely agree with that. Hopefully we'll see more games in this fantasy genre that which has been well, let's say saturated is a is a is a, a light word for it over the course of these many years. Um, let's hope to see that we get more innovation like we can with the uh, the McFarlane game that's going to be coming out. Um, but in the meantime, I'll take a good solid story. So if you want to give me a good story and make it look like everything else, fine. Just make that story friggin' outstanding. True. Make up for what you're you're not doing. You know, and, and make you know, overcome your your shortcomings with 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 really good quality. True. Make up for what you're you're not doing. You know, and, and make you know, overcome your your shortcomings with 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 really good quality. I think that's it. Unless you got anything else, Vince. Oh no, I'm good. I think we had a solid show tonight. I agree. I agree. Um, so that's it for tonight, folks. Uh, by all means, again, stop by bowdowntous.com. Join us on the forums. You want us to review a game? Let us know. You have an opinion about a game you want heard? Let us know. You want to share your gaming experience with us? Go ahead. Join the community. We're all about this community. That's why we started this thing in the first place. By all means, join us. Also, don't forget, if you got a few extra bucks in your pocket, stop by our stores. Uh, we have T-shirts available. We have mugs. We have panties. The whole nine. You know, a little little bit goes to help to support the site, and we would appreciate it because it is being paid for out of our own pocket. Um, other than that, everybody have a great evening, and thank you. I bought a pair of panties so people think I have a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a lot of talking. We did good. You know, and we filled up most of the time without having a third person to, to break things up. So, you see, we don't need Roger. No. But, but, but I will admit he does serve a role of, uh, you know, saving my throat a bit. Because when he goes on his long wind-banded rang, wind-bagged <laughs> rants, uh, I don't go through an entire glass of water in 20 minutes. <laughs> I get to relax a little and, you know, go browse YouTube or something because I'm not paying attention to him. Oh, you're going to hear about it later. I, I told him we would be nice, so I saved all the all the all the crap for the outtakes. <laughs> True. Make up for what you're you're not doing, you know, and, and make you know, overcome your your shortcomings with 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 really good quality. True. Make up for what you're you're not doing, you know, and, and make you know, overcome your your shortcomings with 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 really good quality. True. Make up for what you're you're not doing. You know, and, and make, you know, overcome your, your shortcomings with, with, with really good quality because I'm an absolute loser.